You've played the missions. But do you really know the lore? We're here to be your guides. Your guardians. This is Guardians of Lore. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, Guardians. Welcome to Guardians of Lore. This is episode 183, recorded December 27th, 2023. The topic for this episode is Sororicide Part 3. And in case you couldn't tell already, I'm going to be your host this time, and I am Elemist. Hey, I'm Orchid. Hey, Orchid. Hello. So we got some podcast info. If you'd like to say hello to us, please do so at Twitter, at Guardians underscore Lore, at Hey It's Orchid, or at I underscore am underscore Elemist. You can find us on Blue Sky, Instagram, and Threads at Guardians of Lore, all one word. You can email us at guardians underscore lore at outlook.com. And you can also jump into our Discord. The invite is in the episode description, but if you want to type it out, it's discord.gg slash lorehub. You can leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. That helps people find us, and we really do appreciate it. Thank you so much, finger guns. Yeah, thank you so much, finger guns. <laughs> it sounds like you're saying thank you to someone named Finger Guns. It's very awkward. What if someone is actually named Finger Guns and then they donate to us and then we're actually thanking that singular person and not just saying Finger Guns? What am I going to do then? Then people will never know. I'm going to have to think of something else <laughs> after that. Maybe I just shouldn't consider that until that actually happens. I'm I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> but if you'd like to support the podcast so we can continue to pay Rindle and allow him to wear shoes. Uh, he wears plastic bags now. That's what Bees said after last time. <laughs> you can visit ko-fi.com slash guardians underscore lore. Every little bit helps, and we greatly appreciate it. Do we? Yes, we do. Oh, okay. We appreciate them. We don't appreciate the shoes. Oh, yeah. Rindle appreciates those. Rindle posted all of the shoes he owns on Discord and like made a whole fucking channel about it or something because he got so mad at us. <laughs> <laughs> it was very passive aggressive and I was so proud of him. Okay, I'm putting this to bed right now. I do have shoes. I wear shoes. As a matter of fact, as I'm recording this, I'm wearing them right now. No, you're not. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, crap. We got to get security. There's no shoes wearing happening. Okay, fine. I'm wearing sandals. <laughs> Fuck off. Um, <laughs> thanks again to our subscribers, Valaragna, Doom, Linkman22, Firebired, Finlay Potato, Sleeve Jobs, Hackslord, Pointless, and Unnamed Guardian Less Than Three. We never are. Why did that sound so threatening? I don't sound threatening. You just think I sound threatening because you're afraid of me. I mean, yes, but that's beside the point. Oh, <laughs> sad. Why? You can also find our info on Reddit on r slash the lore network alongside many impressive lore content creators. We are now still there, even though we've been there like forever. So, okay. So after the lore network was turned into a slash college site, 
in China. <laughs> it's very bouncy. Um, the site, like, after it was nuked before, like, it had just, like, redirected you to Reddit if you had never checked it. So now it just go to Reddit, okay? I'm just going to tell you to go to Reddit instead of, like, going to thelorenetwork.com and then going to Reddit. Just go to Reddit. No one actually, like, updates the Reddit page because I forgot, like, I, I'm a mod on there, but I, like, never go on Reddit under that name. I have a different Reddit account to do all of my... I don't know how to respond to that. So, uh, this week at Guardians <laughs> of Lore, the Twoggle... <laughs> You're like, panic! So, there was a cutscene. It was last week. There was. Like, it, it was last week, but... Yeah. I mean... Last week was Christmas. Yeah. So. We weren't doing an episode for, for Christmas. This week was uh, the Catalyst. The first Catalyst run was this week. Yep. Which you had to do on Legendary. That's annoying. Yeah. It was fun, but still. I, I also noticed that there were some things in the final room that changed. Yeah, but we won't talk about that until next week. Yep. Anyway, the cutscene is a love story. Uh, number two, my heart. Oh, my God. Number three, Riven. Oh, my God. I'm on your side now. Number four, are we the baddies? A hundred percent. Discuss. Well, like, so, so. I do see where humanity was coming from mm -hmm. because not all Ahamkara were altruistic like Terranus. The Ahamkara feed themselves based off of like what comes to pass and what was wished on. And and the more sour they turn a wish, the the greater the feed. It's a sour wish because it's the low fat, no calorie wish. Okay. <laughs> That's what Fire Pirate has said. <laughs> so literally like Riven is full fat I'm gonna fuck your wish up so bad because you're like I want a body pillow of gin from BTS that's my wish don't wish for that just buy it on eBay Terranus is like I'll give you that cool neat I'm into that too like let's talk about it bestie <laughs> and, and that's the thing like he he protected the people who wished. Yeah. He didn't tell everyone their deep, dark secrets, whereas Riven put them on blast. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Riven's the worst, whereas Terranus is the best, I guess. But end of conversation? Question mark? I mean, that's all I can think of what that is. like. Pretty much. Also, the queen like put Riven essentially in like pretty prison for protection i understand where mara was coming from mara's like you're my favorite one well no like riven had free reign of the dreaming city okay but then the great ahamkara hunt starts and there might have still been some work that still needed to be laid down on the dreaming mm -hmm. city for for the the oryx plan okay so like I see where Mara is coming from, because if a guardian caught whiff that there was an Ahamkara at the Dreaming City, they would charge in. Right. So Riven puts the ankle bracelet um, on Riven. Yeah. So Mara put the ankle bracelet on, on Riven. Right. Put her on essentially on house arrest. Yeah. So she's on house arrest. She can't leave. 
and like hides her away in like the dreaming city, which is wild shit that they could just like run around the dreaming city like no problem. Like, oh, hey, wish dragon finger guns like I'm going to go to like dreaming city McDonald's now, like wish dragon behind the counter. Like what's what is happening? Does like, let me go in the space butthole and go visit the other like wish dragons. Like you just are you guys just all hanging out? Can we can we back up a moment? Does the Dreaming City McDonald's <laughs> what? have an awoken meal? <laughs> yes, of course, obviously. Okay, it's number four. <laughs> okay, I I just had to check. Mm-hmm. And and that's essentially they they were able to communicate by whispering in the in between, like. That is all that we actually got word of. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ahamkar or so so Riven still had chats with Terranus, but like it was whispers. But just before the Great Ahamkara hunt, Riven and Terranus ran off on their own for a little bit to Terranus's lair in the the ontology of the Black Garden. Right. And they made it there. They had some babies. When Oryx came through and he took Riven, Terranus sensed that Riven was taken and not speaking of her own free will. So he fulfilled his own wish, which is forbidden for Ahamkara because it will literally eat their existence away at them. And he was able to scatter the eggs into the, the ley lines. Right. So he just decided to wish on himself. So he instead of wishing on a star, he's like, I wish all of my babies to be safe forever. Best dad ever. So he literally sacrifices himself. He's like the kind of mom that like throws herself in front of a bus to save her kid and saves all of his babies. Like the kind of dad you look up to. Except this is the dad that goes to get milk and never comes home because he's dead now. And um, all the babies are now safe, sort of, except they were all taken by like the Vex. That's shitty. Yeah. And he literally goes and he granted his own wish to keep the eggs out of harm's reach until someone could protect them. His wish keeper, which is the name of the bow that we got. It's so sad. I like cried when I watched this. That's also the name that he gave us. Like yes. the guardian. Mm-hmm. But I really like this. This was, it was fun. The exotic mission is good. I love being back in the black garden. I always oh, found yeah. it really pretty. Oh yeah. And this part is like really easy to figure out and it doesn't take very long and it's fun. And I really like it. And it's, good and there's like a very nice cheese in the end so you don't have to like go in the final boss room. <laughs> you can just stand up on the ledge and like plink him from far away until he's dead oh god uh, there with wish under i'm like Bleh. <laughs> goodbye <sighs> but yeah anyway i i yeah. agree the mission is fun the ink block mm-hmm. cutscene where riven explains all this is phenomenally done like their their ink block cutscenes are amazing yeah and uh, i really like it i think it suits the season really well 
I, I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Lord Network Ad? Yeah. Okay. Greetings and welcome to the At Tower Maid Cafe. I shall be your host, Rindel of a Thousand Voices. What is it that you desire? What is it you wish for, oh customer mine? Hmm, let me see. Uh, a bagel. A, a bagel? Mm-hmm. You're speaking to a wish dragon, and you want a bagel. Oh, yes, good point. Uh, two bagels. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. And obligatory made cafe bit out of the way. Hey, guys, Rindle here. So, this is supposed to be a space for ads, and this show is brought to you by... Well, us, and listeners like you. Look, I'll cut to the chase. We don't have mattresses or meal kits or even one of those Raid Shadow Legends deals to sell you. But your donations and the subscriptions through Ko-Fi help to keep us afloat and keep me in shoes. I joke around, but we do have actual overhead costs to consider, and then weird one-off purchases like being sure that we're one-upping Adobe every year so that we can be sure that our production is at high value. And we're able to do that because of you and listeners like you. So thank you. Sincerely. I really don't have anything else to add beyond that, so back to the show. So, uh, Orchid... Rindle did a good job there, didn't he? It was uh, very oo-woo. Very oo-woo. Very oo-woo indeed. Yeah. Uh, oh, oo-woo mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, brief intro to the topic. Sororicide is acquired by identifying the Deck of Whispers' major arcana cards at the Lectern of Divination, located inside the Athenaeum throughout the Season of the Witch. It is a series of scriptures written from the perspectives of the surviving hive gods as they construct the eighth Book of Sorrow. For the first two parts of the lore book, go back and listen to episode 181 and 182. That is certainly one of the descriptions that exists. Wow. (sighs) So, Orchid, you want to kick us off? Oh, yeah, sure. I would love that. Okay. All right. This is nine. Zivu Wrath. Antigone drowns. Verse eight, nine. Lament. On Zivu's morning, son by Zivu Arath, sister to a dead king. Grief. There is no grief. I will not grieve. Fear. There is no fear. We do not fear. Pity. There is no pity. There is nothing to pity. Grave. He will have no grave. We do not dig graves. Rot. 
murky rots beneath the waves. Cool. What is this, slam poetry? Oh, no. Let me tell you all about this. Okay. Let's go back to ancient Greek bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go all the way back to last last week on ancient Greek bullshit with Orchid. So it says all we we did last week. This week on ancient Greek bullshit. So we can circle to Antigone first. So Antigone um, is a Theban princess. So she is in um, several ancient Greek tragedies. She's the daughter of Oedipus. So you all know Oedipus, right? Yep, yep. Uh Uh-huh. Oedipus is the one who's like, I'm going to fuck my mom. (laughs) So I'm like, we've seen that one before. And um, so... Antigone is in like a lot of different tragedies, which that's been like a real theme in the entirety of this like lore book has been Greek tragedy. And this is really arranged like a Greek tragedy. So remember last time we were talking about like how the chorus is like shouting at you and like the director's cut and telling you like all the stuff. This is how they would have done it. This is them like towards the end being like, this is um, like, these are the things you need to learn about the play. So these are the, are the director's notes. Yeah. Like this is very much like the director's notes kind of end of the play. This is the chorus telling you um, everything that you should learn. So this is them being like, this is the grief that the character is feeling. Uh, this is the fear that the character is feeling. This is the pity. And then the character is kind of like going back and forth and being like, no, there's no grief. I won't grieve. And then they're coming back and being like fear. And then the character is going, there's no fear. Like we don't fear. So they're kind of, it's like a kind of like a call and response And this was kind of common in Greek tragedy. So they're like really, um, I don't know. It was, it's kind of common towards like the end of Greek tragedies, I guess. So, but yeah. So Antigone is, uh, it looks like Antigone, but it's Antigone. Antigone is a like very famous uh, Greek figure. But yeah, so uh, yeah, person. Uh, legit person and in stuff. It features a lot in like Euripides plays. Euripides loved to write about uh, Antigone. And Euripides was the one. Euripides was the one who did the weird song that sounded like Savathun's song. That was not Savathun's song, but uh, for copyright purposes, sounds like Savathun's song, but isn't. Yeah, I, I remember that from last last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Last time on It Isn't Savathun's. It's like Wish.com's Savathun song. <laughs> it's like not quite that. I, I remember hearing Euripides nuts. <laughs> Why do you have to say it like that? <laughs> God damn it. 
anyway, that's like the only thing. But um, yeah, so it's a lament and laments are really common to be like this. The other terms that especially that have to that are like associated with laments are like comos um, or comos. And it's like literally like striking or like beating your head or breast in mourning. It's like commotion. That's where the word comes from. That's where the word commotion comes from is commos. And it's like that has to do. And that's like the commos in theater. That's where like lament in theater comes from. So it's like the same kind of thing, like what this stems from. So like it's all this like weird bullshit and Greek tragedy has all these like stems and words that we have now. Okay. But yeah. So okay. it's like a weird this is like a a shouting, screaming, like commotion that she would have had. Because it's Zivu. Yeah. Well, it's not just Zivu because it's like a lament, so it's yeah, it- like it's like a terrible wailing because that's like how they would have shown it. Like Greek tragedy. Right. Well, Greek plays always right. had like those masks on, but in order to get their point across, like they really would have like had to scream their lungs out. Yeah. They would have had to like really use like big gestures and like beat their chest and make it huge. You have to sell it. You're in like a really big, you know, outdoor theater. Yeah. Got to sell it. So if you're an amphitheater, you got to make it big. Absolutely. But yeah, this is kind of neat. So, yeah. Okay. That's all I have. Great tragedy is neat. I'll be quiet. Sorry. No, you're, you're fine. I mean, I, I was just going to stick with slam poetry. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally, it's totally the return of Greek tragedy. It was not over. Well, and, and that, that's a recurring theme with the hive at this point. Oh, yeah. I didn't think it was when we read the Book of Sorrow originally, I totally thought like, oh, it's just like them being edgy. <laughs> like, Right. I didn't associate it with Greek tragedy like this, but they're being like so totally obvious with it in this lore book, like to see the parallels, because this really is just like the cliff notes of Euripides. And now, like, Antigone being in this. Like, if you're calling it Antigone Drowns, like, come on. Like, you already had Euripides. And now, like, Antigone being, like, one of the main focal points in Euripides, like, stuff. Like, please. Yeah. Please. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. But if you want to know, in her own play... Um, Antigone tries to secure a respectable barrier for her, a burial for her brother. And that's like part of her play. So that really has to do with this little part. So Antigone was trying to get a burial for her brother, Polynices. And Atecles and Polynices were Oedipus's sons. And they like ruled together like hand in hand until they fought really bad. And Atecles, I think it's Atecles, um, like got rid of her. They like threw his brother away. So he's like, goodbye. 
And Sophocles um, said the two brothers agreed to like alternate ruling each year, which is wild shit. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll have the even years and you can take the odd years. Like, who the fuck does that? But then Atecles was like, I'm not going to do that. Fuck you. And <laughs> Polynices like left took an army and attacked Thebes because he's like, I'm not going to do that. And so it's the War of the Seven against Thebes. That's very famous. Uh, both brothers were then killed. Um, then uh, King Creon um, ascended the throne of Thebes after the death of the two brothers and decreed that Polynices is not to be buried or mourned. Um, on pain of death by stoning. Antigone, who is his sister, defies the king's order and tries to like bury him and mourn for him, and she's caught. So you see how this parallels Oryx yeah. and Zivu? Right. So Antigone is brought before Creon and admits that she knew of the law like forbidding the mourning for Polynices. Totally breaks it. And she's like, I'm divine. I have divine law over human law. I'm doing this anyway. Fuck you. And Creon was like, she has all this courage, passion, determination to do it. Um, Creon's like, I'm going to fucking bury you alive, cunt. (laughs) (laughs) And so... Creon has a change of heart, tries to release her, but she's like, nah, fam, I'm going to hang myself. <laughs> Get wrecked. <laughs> and so she kills herself before he can release her because he had a change of heart. So that's like part of the tragedy is that like he learned his lesson, but she like superseded him learning his lesson. So that's like part of the tragedy. So Creon's son, by the way, his name is Haman, was in love with Antigone and commits suicide by gutting himself. And um, his mother, Queen Eurydice, also killed herself because her son died. So because her son killed himself, she unalived herself wild shit like this story is so good yeah greek tragedy what did i tell you so good anyway that's what this has to do with this lore book so antigone drowns that's what that has to do damn with the story of antigone all i'm really hearing is everybody dies you know what oryx is dead everyone else is dead like it's pretty much yeah. everyone. Everyone's dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so this is Sophocles play of Antigone. But yeah, so she's just trying to, you know, like bury her brother. She's just trying to bury her brother. And the king's like, nah, fam. And she's like, fuck you. Damn. She's just trying to bury your brother. Like Zivu. Just trying to bury your brother. So you can see here that he will have no grave. We do not dig graves. He rots beneath the waves. Just like the king says you, he will have no grave. He rots beneath the waves. King said the same thing. He will have no grave. He just rots. 
So I don't know if it's Zivu saying that she wanted to bury her brother, but it's us saying like us being the king in this saying that like we're not allowing her to bury her brother because we're the one that killed him and, secured, and like preventing his body her. and right. And so we're preventing her from being able to bury her brother and like mourn him properly. So are we the king in this? 100%. And she's Antigone. 100%. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. It took a long time of me telling you the entire story of Antigone for you to figure out if the, if we're the bad, we're the baddie in this. <laughs> oh, we are. We absolutely are. It's 100% again me asking if we're the baddies or not. We're the baddies again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Every single time we're the baddies. Well, why are we always the baddies? The, the the problem is, like, we're the baddies from all other perspectives aside from humanity. Right. Because, honestly, all we're doing is just defending ourselves. That's true. Looking at humanity's standpoint, like, Oryx came in, you know, busted down our door and was trying to, to kill everyone. We just defended ourselves. Savathun came in, she turned everybody into her own personal playthings, and we fought her. Zivu is trying to end our existence, and so we we are defending ourselves. So, like, we're not completely the baddies here. From a certain perspective, we are, but it's all about perspective. I mean, Zivu definitely sees us as the baddies. Absolutely. Like she sees herself very much as the innocent in all of this, and we're preventing her from doing what's what she sees as correct and right. I think. No, absolutely. I don't know if there are like English professors or English teachers listening to this. Like, please correct me. Like, send me a DM on like Twitter and like tell me if I'm completely and utterly wrong because English was not my strong suit growing up. That was much better at math. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. Man. Anyway, I think we beat this one to death for something that has like five or six lines. Right. <laughs> Do you want to read the next one? Uh, all right. Okay, And cool. this is entry 10. Eris Morn, the auger casts her bones. It is a dire error to see Savathun's predictions as truths, divined from some inner foresight. She did not prophesize. What we are attempting here was just one possibility in an infinite collection of possibilities, and a choice we made in an infinite collection of choices. She could not have anticipated them all. She could only cast her bones in the space between certainty and augury, and watch them fall. It is odd to speak of her in the past tense. Even in death, she is here with us, pulling at our strings, howling with laughter at our failings, as she did years ago. But now, our failings will be her sister's triumph, and Savathun's lasting death. No, the Witch Queen never dealt in fate. In this, we share her understanding of the universe. Every movement is a result of a meticulous application of desire. 
This path was carefully constructed, and we were predictable enough to place our footsteps into the imprints she made for us. It is a truth dressed as a lie, so that we may overlook it. But that is not fate. Fate is the purview of Zivu'urath's childish logic. The dead were destined for death, and the fall of her sword is inevitable. We are not as easily fooled as she. The logic is a lie dressed as a truth, so that we may waste our time with it. No, I am not here because of fate. I am here because of will and machination. But if neither are my own, is that any more desirable? No matter. I will take control. I possess that power. I will cast my bones, as the Witch Queen did, between certainty and augury. I will see Zivurath's worm devour her. She will be struck down by her own bargain and fall like lightning. I will see Savathun undone by her own trickery. She will behold me as I am and know that I am her ruin. This is the path I lay for them, and they will follow it. I ought. Ooh. Yeah. That's a lot more than I had. <laughs> I can't tell you what auger is. That's all I've got. Um, and auger is a fortune teller. So essentially she's saying, you know, I will cast my bones as the witch queen did between mm -hmm. certainty and prediction. Yeah. She's betting the house. Betting the house by rolling the bones. She's doing a gamble. Get your bets down, ladies and gentlemen. She's gambling the gamble. I think um, it's really interesting listening to the part where she's talking about how the witch queen never dealt in fate. Um, and so in this, we share her understanding of the universe and every movement is a result of a meticulous application of desire. And so because everything was constructed, everything was predictable enough to place because she planned everything out so meticulously for so long, she knew what we were going to do with certainty. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. Because it was always the two truths in a lie. So it says it is a truth dressed as a lie so that we may overlook it. Like that kind of like harkens back to that idea, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What do you think of the idea of her being, of us kind of dealing with her like while she was alive and now while she's dead and we're still having to deal with her now? <laughs> Like, she's just, like, still here. <laughs> yeah. She's very dead, and we're like, she's still here. Fuck. And and that's that's going to be the problem with the character herself. Like, I mean, we've seen how that season ended with her being revived and everything. But, like, even if she wasn't revived, it, we'd still be dealing with the ramifications of shit she put in place for years. 
I mean, hell, we're still feeling the ramifications of Oryx. I mean, because we're still feeling the ram- the ramifications of Oryx, is that because of Savathun and Zivu Arath? Or is that because Oryx was such a big personality and had so much power that it was on his own merit that we felt that we still feel him now after so many years? I think it's based off of his own merit. So it's like definitely not because like... Zivu is making all of these waves and Savathun has right. like stuck her fingers into every single fucking pie that we've had to deal with. No, I, I think it's based off of Oryx's own merit. I mean, when you stop and realize like the battle of Saturn happens, Mara dies like at, right after she completes her throne world and we go in, kill Oryx. Just that entire year, we are currently feeling the, the ramifications. Like it was just ripple effect after ripple effect because the cabal that landed there phoned in to Callus. So they're the reason why Gaul and Callus arrived here, which is then the reason why the witness started coming here. Savathun arrived and found that, you know, Oryx took Riven and was able to start using Riven and us and the Dreaming City, the Awoken. As chess pieces. And I, I made the joke when Forsaken first came out that like it, it was the Taken King part two. I mean, if if you remember, there were spots on the Tangled Shore that were actual like the mini dreadnoughts that crashed. Right. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And then we're dealing with Riven being taken by Oryx himself. Right. Um, we, we see that Mara was able to actually use her throne world by slipping into Oryx's and stealing it over. And even further than that, like we've got everything with Savathun now because Oryx laid the groundwork essentially. And then we just happen upon Oryx's body and Savathun's brood is trying to revive him. Right. So like, like I said, even now, you know, in this year, we are still seeing ramifications of the Taken King expansion. It's still so hard for me to believe that he has like such a presence still, even though like we destroyed him like so long ago. (laughs) And yet like his body just like pops up in Ghosts of the Deep and caused so many problems. If you remember when we read that lore book, Mm -hmm. like his body was like radioactive almost, but with like taken energy almost. Yep. Sterile neutrinos. And... Yeah, and it made them kind of crazy. Yeah. Like they had to wear like little badges or something, kind of like dosimeters when they went down. Like wild shit. I don't know. So yeah, I'm I'm of the school of thought that like, honestly, I think it was the dark below that was a turning point. Okay. Because that was the first domino. Crota dying and reaching out to Oryx brought Oryx into the system. And then it was just, a ripple effect from there. So yeah, there's my tangent. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. I'm looking kind of towards the end at Eris's companion or Eris's, I guess, how she compares herself to Savathun and I guess also to Zivu Wrath and how Zivu Wrath is mostly kind of the purveyor of fate. And yep. how Savathun is the purveyor of destiny 
almost. It's like she's kind of like logic in Destiny and Eris is will and machination machinations. Yeah. Is that what you say? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's interesting that she's kind of between the two because she's between, as she described, she's between certainty and augury. So certainty would be Savathun and augury would be Zivurath, I think. Absolutely. Because augury is definitely like 100% fate. I like the description that she uses. Yeah. No, that's that's good a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Because that that is essentially how the characters have developed. I think she's a really good complement of the two of them. And maybe not even a complement, but like a mix of the two of them. And I'm really glad she's on our side and not on their side. <laughs> right? We would be so fucked. We would be so fucked. Like we would be done for if she was on our, their so side. Fucked. We would be so done for. We would just be like completely and utterly done for. Oh my god. But anyway, yeah. So So yeah. Yeah. That's all I have, I think. No, that's that's that is pretty much pretty much it. Yay. You want to continue on? I would love to. Okay. Uh this is the next one. This is 11. Eris Morn. They drink strong poison. Verse 8-11. The truth. The hive are not a monolith. They have internal contradictions, strife, tensions. These threaten to engulf them. There is a fissure forming that I alone behold with open eyes. It will one day yawn and gape and something will crawl from it that will shake the hive's foundations. Perhaps that thing is me. They sense this possibility and cling to their imperative truth out of fear. To this end, Zivu Arath lies to herself continuously. With each deception, she immures herself in great fiction she must restore with each forming crack. This is why they fear and revere their own logic. The first doubt, the oldest doubt, the Enteaxuana, it would destroy them. To this end, Oryx's grand philosophy encompasses everything it touches. Every paradox, every conflict. Love is death, war is love. And what is at peace is sick. Even his defeat was a movement towards the final shape, as he knew that his killer would become him. In his logic, that is all his killer could become. It makes failures into proofs, so that their logic may weather them. It will all collapse one day. I will make sure of it. I will break their truth by my becoming. I have stolen much from the hive. I took their eyes, their fetid magic, and now I have taken from them again. Each time I descend into the deep, I take what I need and take what I am owed. 
just as the Taken King slew Akka to satiate his worm. I see now, with all my years of study and strife, all my years of venturing into the dark so that I may put my eyes to good use, I have conjured him. This is what Zivurath sees when she beholds my morph. Her brother, triumphant, reborn. In this way, I am truly loved. Well, that's a little messed up, Eris. I mean, <laughs> ew. Oh, they love me because they see their brother in me. Ew. Mm. Just the, it's the worst. I don't like it. Right. I don't like so, it at all. It's real icky. <laughs> so there is a complicated hive word in here. There is. And it's old. Yeah. Uh, so Enteox Oana. Enteox Oana. Um, that was actually first seen in some of the Shadowkeep stuff. Right. Um, like it it was in one of the, the web lore for it. It was in one of the the pre-order journal things um essentially what it means is a fate worse than extinction the triumph of the oldest doubt and an end of a way so the one that we found it in was in one of the five lore entries unlocked from the shadow keep collector's edition puzzle and this one was in the fifth one poison which describes Oryx, their ancestor and forefather, who is dead with an empty throne and his slayer denied his truth. And it references Savathun as the needle-fingered one. Yep. And, and the reason I say it was also a web lore is because they actually took the collector's edition stuff and released it as web lore. Right. Once it, you know, got figured out. Mm-hmm. But the big thing I'm taking away from this... Mm-hmm. Is that Eris is thinking on uh, the fact that like she took a ton from the hive and is now using it to actually be their end. And because she took so much, she has altered herself to the point that like it says here, you know, this is what Zivu Arath sees when she beholds my morph, mm-hmm. her brother triumphant, reborn. We saw that Eris actually altered her form for this plan. Right. I think it's really interesting that she has imbued Oryx so much, maybe from like the trauma of Crota, that she is like become him in a way, because that's what she says in the very end, that Zivu Wrath like sees her brother reborn. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because she has some of his characteristics or if she like if Zivurath literally sees like her brother. Like, I don't think it's literal. No, I, I don't. I don't think it's literal. I don't know. if I, Is it just like the characteristics? I would say so. The fact that Oryx had his own army. Mm-hmm. Eris has us. Like she, she was able to throw guardians at all the issues that came up. Right. The fact that she has taken on to like altering forms in order to best the enemies. 
Oryx was was forcing it upon others while she forced it upon herself. So like there's a difference there, but like the concept is there. Right, right. And that's just looking at what was done. Like that's not even actually looking at strategy or, you know, mental processes or anything. I want to know how they fear and revere their own logic. And it's the Inteoxuana, which has Teox like in the word, mm-hmm. which like for the last couple of years, we've been like dancing around Teox so much. Right. It's it's been like a slow dance around Teox. And I want to know how that's going to resolve itself, if that's ever going to resolve itself. I don't think it's going to. Well. I don't know. What do you think? And and this is me looking at Zivu specifically. Okay. Okay. So she obviously reveres the logic. She lives by it. You know, she strives to be the final thing in existence because that is her vision of the final shape. But the fear also comes from that exact thought because if there's nothing left, the worm is going to eat her. So then there will be nothing left. And there's the... F- the fact that, like, ultimately, her choices aren't her own because she's living by that logic. So she might be a great warrior, but she's living by a code that dictates her entire life. I think we've seen, like, her morph into, I'm, I'm using the word morph on purpose, like, morph into this character that is, like, she's just... She's started as this like a weird lady with a rock. <laughs> My God, right? And now she's just this like super badass. And it was it's been like so cool to see her progression over the years. Absolutely. But she really did start as like a weird lady with a rock. Hiding under the stairs, just yelling at people. Yeah, I need to underline that like several times. Like she's the weird lady with the rock. <laughs> like she she was the weird lady with a glowing rock who sat under the stairs with like a bunch of candles right next to her. And she just shouted at people as you like walked to go talk to like to Cade so he would like give you shit to do. Yeah. Or shacks. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. That's it. It's like so you could go like get bounties from people and like get bounties from the wall. <laughs> like man, I miss having wall bounties. <laughs> like yeah. the computer things. Oh, I miss that. Imagine not having to talk to people and you just go to the computer wall thing and get stuff. <laughs> Those are the days. I find her her transformation from, you know, the the crazy aunt who lived under the stairs and, you know, yelled at people. The crazy aunt to the hive god of vengeance. Like, to see that progression, if you would have told me, like, when the character first came out, I would be like, you're barking up the wrong tree. That she's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But, like, to be there for each step of the progression, like, it makes sense. Right. So, like, I actually like her character development. I do, too. I think it's pretty great. That and it's fun to see. She's still sticking with her MO of, you know, fuck the hive. Fuck the hive. <laughs> bullet right in the head, then bullet into the worm. Yep, it's true. 
Uh, do you want to read the next one? Last one? Last one? Absolutely. Nice. And this is entry 12, Savathun, Love. Verse 8-12, The Wish. Eris will comport herself beautifully. I wish I could behold her morph. I can see it in my mind's eye. Her chitin will engulf her. Her eyes will be uncovered. She will laugh. And what a delightful sound that will be. After everything. Genuine, full of my guile and my sister's zest for life. I may still see her morph. There's still time. I'll be so proud of her. It will seem like fate. Something that couldn't have happened any other way. But Eris is smart enough to recognize my touch. She will realize it was me and understand that this was what I made her for. She'll see all the intricacies of the path I have laid before her from the moment my nephew raised his sword. Not too long ago, that understanding would have starved me. Now it's just icing on the cake. I hope she's not too upset. Ah, well, I'm sure she'll get over it. There were contingencies, of course. It's foolish to put all your eggs in one basket. One must lay snares and set events in motion that may never quite snap into place. But this? This was easy. Perfectly aligned. Ziva Arath will make it clear why it had to be this way. She will do exactly what I know she will do because that is all she is ever able to do. Anything else would kill her. Because in the end, my sister just wants someone to love. Fully and completely. And she's given up on me. So I will give her Eris Morn. I like that. I do too. I I think that's a good ending of all of this. It is. And and the thing that gets me is that that line, she'll see all the inc- intricacies of the path I have laid before her from the moment my nephew raised his sword. Mhm. So she's made plans from the moment that like Oryx learned how to cut open a portal. Yep. The details might have been gray. No, like, it would have been Crota, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Crota. Yeah. But yeah, like she 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 started making plans from the point that Crota learned how to cut open a portal. And offed her entire fire team. Well, and, and that happened long before Eris. Yeah. Like millennia before Eris. Possibly even much longer than that. So like like I said, the the specifics might just be fuzzy. Mm-hmm. But she had general plans for everything that happened to Eris. And that's kind of frightening. Cause then like it, it also boils down to, you know, how much of what you do is free will and how much of what you do is fate. 
Like it, it's that predestiny versus free choice argument. But how much of it is Sabathun just having like the ability to control like all of fate? Because like then we go back to the one like two entries ago of her being like in total control of everything. And then Zivu Wrath being like all fate all the time. Yeah. Like the point here that that is actually, you know, pointing at what I'm I'm referring to. Um, mm-hmm. It will seem like fate, something that couldn't have happened any other way. But Eris is smart enough to recognize my touch. She will realize it was me and understand that this was what I made her for. And she did. There were contingencies, of course. And, and you know, but this, this was easy, perfectly aligned. So, yeah, like it, it seems like fate because Air, uh, Savathun made it look that way. But she had contingency plans upon contingency plans. So, like it, she was ready for free will choice A and free will choice B all the way through, you know, Z. Ah, God. I think she's just like nine steps ahead of us. Yeah. And the fact that she even got this far, it just blows my mind that they're like, oh, no, she totally meant to do all of this. And I'm like, I don't know how you did, but good job. I mean, the fact that you got this far and then Eris is like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm doing this instead. Like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Right. Because Eris like totally saw through her in the end. If we remember. She did. She did. Yeah, and then Eris like completely was like, "I'm not going to take that power. I am giving it up," because <laughs> I don't think she planned for that. I think she planned that Eris was going to take the power, just like she did in the thousands of other like futures that Elsie yep. saw. Yep. Because in the one future that we're in, she didn't do that. And that makes me wonder how much of that influence was us. I'm really wondering that because she does call us her friend, you know? Right. So. And, and I mean, Elsie um, did make mention that the Guardian was in a few timelines and we did go dark in each of those. Right. But like, there's something about our version of the Guardian. Right. And I think that's what helped tip everything the way it needed to be. I just think it's like they keep like our guardian keeps like sticking their fingers (laughs) and things. Absolutely. And like, it's pretty great to see how the little things we do, like really affect the people around us, especially like Eris. Eris calls us her friend. Yeah. And she's like, you know, you affected me. Like she didn't use those words, but But I mean, we could see it. Yeah, we obviously did that. Yeah. Like I think she'd still be the crazy lady with the rock under the stairs if it wasn't for us. Cuz I mean, if you remember in Shadowkeep, we helped her come to terms with like the death of her fire team, which is probably yep. one of the best written stories in all of Destiny, and oh it's too God, bad that yes. it was like the weirdest fucking set of Five different quests. It was the worst way to tell the really good story and like go through that kind of like trauma because I really hated it, but the story was so good. 
Right. And it's just like the story was so compelling that you had to do the quest. You had to do it. And if okay, seriously, if you guys are listening and you have not done those quests because you're like, this is annoying and stupid and really boring and I hate this. Please go back and play them because they're really good. I promise you they're worth it. I promise you they're worth it. Absolutely. It doesn't seem like it is, but it's worth it. I will play them with you. Find me in Discord. I will do them again. I still have to finish them on my Titan. <laughs> I never finished Shadow Keep on my Titan. <laughs> Pain. I mean, it's only like, what, four campaign missions? <laughs> it's only been five years. I don't know. It's fine. It's only been five years. I can wait another year and not do it. <laughs> okay, Alamus, did you like this lore book? It's been like, I swear to God, we started this lore book two months ago. <laughs> did you like this lore book? It, it feels like. Um, I did. I I really did. And a lot of that stems from the fact of like, we get to see Eris come to terms with like how things are progressing. What about you? Uh, I really liked it. I mean, obviously I liked all the weird Greek stuff. Uh, that was fun. Uh, that's pretty much my favorite part, but I liked how they used the old ancient stories to tie into the current stories, which was kind of fun for being like, Hey, if you know these old stories, this is the new story. Yeah. Surprise. I think that's really neat. Um, not a whole lot of games do that anymore. And if they do, like, I don't know. They're either super obvious about it or they're real opaque about it. I think they did a really good job with it in this one. And this wasn't super purple prose like the first Book of Shadows was. Yeah. So I appreciated that because the first book of shadows was, oh man, that was hard to get through. Yeah. The books I of sorrow this are, are just really. Or yeah, book of sorrow, whatever. Yeah. It's fucking, I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> suck. They, they just, there's so much to interpret in there and it's, it's written that way specifically for a reason. I hate all of it and want to burn it to the ground hate it the most but you know it's fine um i really liked this this was nice uh it was all very different i think it really illustrated the relationship between zivu wrath and savathun and eris morn really really well yeah and especially we got to understand the relationship between savathun and uh zivu a lot better especially as it stands now and not how it used to be right right which I think is cool. So, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Orchid, you got any shout-outs? Uh, a happy new year? You know what? I will second that. Happy new year, Alamist. Happy new year, Orchid. Mm-hmm. And to everybody listening. Coming out next year. So, <laughs> happy new year, everybody. We're recording this last year, <laughs> not this year. God, we're a whole Question year mark. behind. We're a whole year behind. Oh, shit. <laughs> what? 
I hope 2024 is better than 2023. I second that. We've been doing this podcast for five years now. Well, you've been doing this podcast for five years. I've been doing it for three years. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate doing it with you. It is a lot of fun. I know we've had a lot of really long talks about whether we were going to keep going or not after the final shape comes out. And I know we're still circling that drain. (laughs) Yeah. But I think as it stands right now, we're still like planning on still doing the podcast in some like form or another. And I think maybe having a little more fun with it than we do and not taking ourselves like so goddamn seriously. Because I think I think a lot of people, especially in the Destiny community, just take themselves too seriously at this point. There's no point. Life is too short. So if you want serious lore, go watch Bife and Maddie. Like, <laughs> you don't need us for serious lore. <laughs> and like, even though Orchid is saying that, we're, we're still going to give, you know, the, the common person perspective. Like, we've got yeah. our, our our way of doing things. We're going to keep to it. Oh, yeah. We're going to still do the same shit, but... I'm still going to talk about F1 all the time. Right, we're we're still going to be throwing a few (laughs) fun, random things in there. Oh, yeah. And we're going to have, like, blue on soon and stuff, so. Yeah. That'll be fun. We'll catch up with people. It'll be fun. But, yeah, so hopefully next year will be fun. Thank you for thank you thank you guys for sticking with us for over five years. If you've listened yeah. from the beginning and through all of the changes that we've done over the years too, because I know we are not the same as we were when we started. God no. Hopefully the changes are for the better, and you're still here because you like it. I still every single time we record, I'm like, oh my god, what if they fucking hate this? And then I'm just going to get a bunch of emails where they say, fuck you, fuck your mom. I hope you hang yourself. (laughs) Right. Every single time I hit record, I'm like, I'm going to get so many DMs on Twitter that just say kill yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for not doing that. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for being cool and chill and nice. (laughs) We have a really nice community, so. We do. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you guys the most. All right. I think that's a good place to end it. Before we start crying, say goodnight. I'm not going to start crying. Fuck off. I'm waiting for. We. I'm waiting for tater tots to come from DoorDash. That's what I was ordering when you were reading your fucking lore entry. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Say goodnight, Orchid. Goodnight, Orchid. Take care. Bye, otters. Where are they going? Uh, Who knows? (gasps) Oh! Oh my god, did you know, did you know there is a seal in Australia that is unhinged? I swear to god, it's related to uh the otter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was it? No, 471? 
871. 871. Something like that. Yeah. 841, you chuckle fox. Oh, 841, 841. <sighs> Something like that. We both were close. Were you, though? God, you know what? I'm so fucking... It's So, the. I have to tell you, the seal in Tasmania is named Neil the Seal. And he just, like, leaves the water every morning and, like, goes to a guy's house and, like, hangs out on his lawn and, like, rolls around and, like, barks at people and, like, sleeps in the middle of the road. Yeah. And he, they taped a tracker to his head so they know where Neil the Seal is all the time. He's all over TikTok. He's all over YouTube. Please look up Neil the Seal. It's fucking hilarious. Wow. If you follow Aussie Man Reviews, he's done like an entire fucking thing about Neil the Seal. But <laughs> like, I've had like Australian friends like send me TikToks of like, have you seen this seal? <laughs> I'm like, have you seen Otter 841? <laughs> it seals like surfboard. It had a child <laughs> that also steals surfboards. <laughs> like, <sighs> oh. So good. <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> Animals are the best, guys. <laughs> okay, that's it. Now I'm gonna go. Alright. Take care, everyone. <laughs> Otters. Okay, seals. <laughs> Gotta seal it up right there. Oh my god. Yeah, but now that the episode's over, we can say we sealed the deal. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> The Lore Network.